Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man, a merchant seeking excellent pearls, who, finding one very precious pearl, going away has sold all things, as many as he had, and bought it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Um, Kaylin is with me. Um, she lost a filling in a tooth and uh, was in a fair amount of pain, and so she was trying to see a dentist, and that didn't work this week. So this morning we ended up at her tooth care, and she's got she's got antibiotics now. Thank you. And how is Shara doing? Uh, I'm going down to see her this afternoon. I spoke with her yesterday. Um, I'd say about the same. All right. Very good. Well, we'll keep her in prayer, too. Please do. We're praying for you. Well, we come here to Matthew chapter 13, this parable that Jesus told about the merchant who was looking for choice pearls. And he discovered a pearl of great value and sold how much? everything he had that he could buy this one pearl. This pearl apparently was really valuable. I mean, how, how could somebody think of a pearl as worth everything else that you own? That's kind of amazing. But people do get caught up with certain things and find them to be exceedingly valuable them for Jesus you know Jesus looks upon something as extremely valuable it is us it's you you're the pearl of great price for Jesus you are that choice gem that fine pearl because he sees you and me not as we are but as what we can become by His grace and redeeming love. Not fallen and sinful, but cleansed and made like Him. I've never opened an oyster and looked for a pearl inside. Anybody here ever done that? No, I haven't done it either. I don't think the east coast of the U.S. is known for its pearls. <laughs> I've never heard of it. But there are parts of the world that have pearls. And perhaps if we looked hard enough in the East Coast, we'd find some. But when you open that pearl, that oyster, well, first of all, is the shell of an oyster all that beautiful? Not the ones I've seen. They're kind of rough and, and uh, not the most uh, beautiful in color or texture or anything. They're kind of scrungy looking. look more like a rock than anything. And when you open it up, what do you find? Just the pearl or what else is in there? The oyster, a lot of gunk. I call it gunk. Not anything appealing, right? Or some people love oysters, but it's not appealing to me. And that's not what the oyster that's not what the pearl merchant is looking for, not the gunk. And so you have to take off that ugly shell, you have to move, remove all the gunk 
and now you've got a pearl that's there. But even yet, it still needs something. It needs to be cleaned up, doesn't it? And you see, God takes our sins and he puts them aside. He removes them as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. As far as the east just gets that out of the gets all that gunk and junk and trash, and he puts it all aside. So he looks at us as his pearl of great price and receives beyond our sins, you see, and he sees our need. And that pearl needs to be cleaned up so that the beauty can shine through. And then when you take that clean pearl, do you put it on a, on a, a, a beach of sand or do you put it on other things like that? No, you put it on a piece of black velvet, right? To show, let that beauty of the pearl be in great contrast so all the beauty shines through. And so God takes us and he sees we need to be out of an environment of sin and selfishness and put into an environment of his love. The black velvet of his love. So to Jesus, you and I are the pearl of great price. What price did he pay? Everything. Did he hold back anything? Now to us, what's the pearl of great price? Well, it's Jesus. We might say salvation, but isn't salvation in Jesus? The Bible says he who has the Son has life, meaning eternal life. And so, for us, Jesus is the pearl of great price. When we recognize his beauty and his strength and his purity, his grace, we know that there is nothing as important as being connected and belonging to him. Enjoying him, loving him, and being loved by him. We want to let go of anything else and everything else but him. Not him. We can't let go of him. He's the most precious. Now, for many weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we've seen Jesus as teacher and healer and comforter and savior and king. But have we really seen him? Now, that, that really is the important thing. Have we really seen him? Have we perceived how valuable he is? Would we give up everything else in order to keep Him? Would we give up a favorite hobby or a favorite food? Would we give up entertainment or clothing or savings or car or house or favorite uh, job and activities, clubs? Would we give up the church? Would we give up family? Would we give up our own children and still want to hold on to Him? to Jesus. Now we're in the line of those in the book of Revelation that describes them as those who they loved not their lives unto the death. Serious statement, isn't it? But Jesus, did Jesus love his life? Or shall I say, love not his life unto the death for us? He never asked us to do anything he's not willing to do. And he's already done it for us. He loved not his life unto the death for you and for me. And this service of the Lord's Supper tells us that he did that. He loved not his life unto the death. He gave it all. 
but it can also declare that you want to be so moved by the Holy Spirit that you would be willing to love not your life unto the death. That you'd rather give up everything else but instead of losing Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul put it this way, But Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have given up everything else and counted all as garbage. All I want is Christ. There was one young man who came to Jesus. He was rich. He had many possessions. And he said, Master, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say? Doesn't it say about you should obey all the Ten Commandments? And the young man said, oh, yes, and I've been keeping those commandments from a little child all the way through. I'm, I'm keeping the commandments. And Jesus said, all right, then well, there's one more thing. I want you to take how much of what he owed, owned, everything he owned, and do what with it? Sell it, give it all away to the poor, and then you can come and follow me and have life. Wow. Was that a hard thing for that young man to think about? It was too hard, in fact. He didn't do it. He'd rather keep what he had than to follow Jesus. Now, did Jesus really ask him the impossible? Couldn't he, could he really, could Jesus really expect him to give up everything? Could, could he do it? Well, God doesn't ask us to do the impossible, he, but he says, I'll work with you. I'll make it possible if you'll trust me. He could have given it all. There was a young man who was going to a Christian college and he was studying to be a pilot. Oh, he loved flying. He just loved flying and he wanted to be a pilot, a commercial airline pilot. And this was his dream. He had dreamed since he was a little boy. And this is what he wanted. He was studying for it. But then, there he had a conviction come over him that God was saying, I know you love this, but do you love it more than me? Would you be willing to give up your dream to be a pilot for me? This is what I'm asking you to do. Well, he never expected this. He just never expected this. And it hit him hard. This was his dream. And he wrestled with it. But then he realized he had to do it. And he said, Lord, I will give up my dream of being a pilot. I'll do it for you. I don't know what else you want from me. I have no idea. But if you say that this is what I should give up, I will give it up for you. See, the Holy Spirit moved in him. He's willing to do it. And he gave it up. And then, as things turned out over the next months and years, the Lord gave him back his dream. And he became a pilot, but not an, a commercial airline pilot. He became a missionary pilot. And he used his love of flying to carry the gospel to places that are very hard to get to without an airplane. You see, sometimes when we are willing to give something up, God gives it back to us in better form than we originally thought. Well, the Bible says 
that the merchant man had to buy the pearl. Well, if Jesus and his gift of life are, a per, are a, a, uh, something we have to buy because they're the pearl, how do we buy it? In fact, I thought it was a gift. I thought God's love and salvation were a gift. And here it says we have to buy. Well, there's another place it talks about it. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about buying the, the gold and the, the um, white raiment and the eye salve. It says to buy them. And they're all... They're all symbols of salvation in Christ. How do we buy it? Well, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So here it talks about buying without money. How can you buy something without money? Well, did you know that I bought my wife? She belongs to me. I bought her. But I bought her without money. I bought her with myself. On the day when we stood before the preacher and we said our marriage vows, I bought her by giving myself to her and receiving her for me. And why did I do it? Because I believed that she loved me with all her heart. And so I gave myself completely to her. We buy and receive Christ as the most valuable pearl by allowing Him to have us as His most valuable pearl. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. We buy and receive Christ as our most valuable pearl by allowing Him to buy us, to receive us, to have us as His most valuable pearl. But what if we don't value pearls? I don't have one pearl at my house. I don't value them. If somebody came to Laconia and they had a, a sale on pearls, I wouldn't even go. Never mind, sell everything I have for one really beautiful pearl? Not for me. And do you know sometimes we have a hard time valuing Jesus? Seeing Him for what He's really worth. How can we get to appreciate the pearl of great price well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to lift up Jesus before us so that we can see the wonders of His person, the beauties of His character, the greatness of His salvation, and value it, value Him. This happened in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus was being preached unto the people. And it says in Acts 51... Here's the preaching. It says, Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And when people heard these words, 3,000 saw His value and sold themselves to Him. 
and to have him. So, we need the Holy Spirit to gain an appreciation of his great value. He, the Holy Spirit, will come to us when we seek for what he has to offer, what he has for us. He will open our hearts to see how valuable Jesus is. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, is a verse I'd never really thought about. I never, it didn't really hit me. I've read it, but I didn't, didn't see the importance of it. But listen to it now in the light of this study this morning. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, in other words, heard the preaching. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. In other words, she was a believer in God, but she wasn't a Christian yet. She didn't know anything about Jesus. She worshipped God. It says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, did you catch that? Did she open her own heart? It says, The Lord opened her heart. To heed, that means to really take in, to receive, to respond to the things spoken. In other words, the gospel preached by Paul. So here is a wonderful promise. If the Lord did it for Lydia, is he willing to do it for the rest of his children? Yes, for you, for me. And we may say, well, I don't have much appreciation. But if you will go and seek, you will find. The Holy Spirit is looking longingly for anybody who will show some interest. And the more interest, the more opportunity you give for the Holy Spirit to open your heart, He will do that very thing. And you will be drawn to the Savior. You'll see the beauty of His character, the greatness of His salvation, and His wonderful, in fact, infinite value. So much so that it will be the joy of your heart, the rejoicing of your life, your existence, to the point where you'd rather let go of anything and everything else and not let go of Jesus. That's the promise. And this service is designed by the Lord to lead us a step in that process. To have our hearts open by God for the value of the one who died for us. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we don't, we can't see Jesus now walking right here as a person among us as they did 2,000 years ago. But oh, we can read of His life and sacrifice here in the Word as we've done in going through the whole Gospel of Mark. And we, we have some sense of what Jesus stood for, what He lived for, what He died for. And we have some sense that it was for us. But Father, we need the Spirit's work in us. To take these thoughts and concepts, the things we've learned, 
and to let them reach our hearts where we can find the true value of it all. The true value of Jesus. We know that the bread and the juice in the Lord's Supper reminds us of his body and blood that were shed for us. The great, immense sacrifice where he held back nothing. May that really sink me. We know that the, the washing of the feet reminds us of his humility. That there's nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for his people. And that's still true today. We know that, and you are the same way, that you have that same humility, that same commitment to us. Oh, may it reach us. May it make a huge difference in our thinking, in our thoughts, in our feelings. That we may be ready to say with Paul, everything else is not worth it. But Jesus is worth everything. We pray this in His mighty name. Amen. Well, Jesus, before, when He was uh, meeting with the disciples to share that last supper He had with them before His crucifixion, it tells us how He washed the disciples' feet in an act of humility and service that he told the disciples, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so we follow with this symbolic service with the idea that uh, we're ready not to serve each other, but we also recognize that if Jesus were here, he would be willing to wash our feet and do whatever's needed to, to reach our hearts and to help us on the path to a heavenly home. And so uh, we invite everyone who would like to to participate with us in this. We have places downstairs prepared. And um, we uh, can do that. Or if you'd like to uh, observe rather than participate, that's uh, uh, an option as well. And then there may be some who would rather just have a time of reading and meditation while we're taking that part of the service. And you can stay in the sanctuary here for that and uh, have a quiet time of thinking about uh, uh, those uh, scenes in the life of Jesus that led up to his sacrifice. And then in a few moments, we'll join back together here in the sanctuary for observing the Lord's Supper itself. So let's go quietly and reverently to the places prepared for us if, if we're taking part in that at this time.
While the emblems are being distributed and the music is playing, let me read to you from the book, Desire of Ages. Christ did not yield up his life till he had accomplished the work which he came to do. And with his parting breath, he exclaimed, it is finished. The battle had been won. His right hand and his holy arm had gotten him the victory. As a conqueror, he planted his banner on the eternal heights. Was there not joy among the angels? All heaven triumphed in the Savior's victory. Satan was defeated and, that, and knew that his kingdom was lost. To the angels and the unfallen worlds, the cry, It is finished, had a deep significance. It was for them as well as for us that the great work of redemption had been accomplished. They with us share the fruits of Christ's victory. Heaven beheld the victim betrayed into the hands of the murderous mob and with mockery and violence hurried from one tribunal to another. It heard the sneers of his persecutors because of his lowly birth. It heard the denial with cursing and swearing by one of his best-loved disciples. It saw the frenzied work of Satan and his power over the hearts of men. O oh, fearful scene, the Savior seized at midnight in Gethsemane, dragged to and fro from palace to judgment hall, arraigned twice before the priest, twice before the Sanhedrin, twice before Pilate, and once before Herod, mocked, scourged, condemned, and led out to be crucified, bearing the heavy burden of the cross amid the wailing of the daughters of Jerusalem and the jeering of the rabble. Heaven viewed with grief and amazement Christ hanging upon the cross, blood flowing from his wounded temples, and sweat tinged with blood standing upon his brow. From his hands and feet the blood fell drop by drop upon the rock, drilled for the foot of the cross. The wounds made by the nails gaped as the weight of his body dragged upon his hands. His labored breath grew quick and deep as his soul panted under the burden of the sins of the world. All heaven was filled with wonder when the prayer of Christ was offered in the midst of his terrible suffering. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yet there stood men formed in the image of God, joining to crush out the life of his only begotten Son. What a sight for the heavenly universe.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Matthew's description goes on. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Edna will be leading us in the prayer to remember and ask the blessing upon the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And we invite you to join in prayer with bowed heads. When Christ came into the world, Satan's power was turned against him from the time he appeared as a babe in Bethlehem. The usurper worked to bring about his destruction. 
In every possible way, he sought to prevent Jesus from developing a perfect childhood, a faultless manhood, a holy ministry, and an unblemished sacrifice. But he was defeated. He could not lead Jesus into sin. He could not discourage him or drive him from a work that he had come on earth to do. From the desert to Calvary, the storm of Satan's wrath beat upon him, but the more mercilessly it fell, the more firmly did the Son of God cling to the hand of his Father and press on in the blood-stained path. All the efforts of Satan to oppress and overcome him only brought out a purer, in a purer light his spotless character. All heaven and the unfallen worlds had been witnesses to the controversy. With what intense interest did they follow the closing scenes of the conflict? They beheld the Savior enter the Garden of Gethsemane, his soul bowed down with the horror of a great darkness. They heard his bitter cry, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As the Father's presence was withdrawn, they saw him sorrowful with a bitterness of sorrow exceeding that of the last great struggle with death. The bloody sweat was forced from his pores and fell in drops upon the ground. Thrice the prayer of deliverance was wrung from his lips. Heaven could no longer endure the sight and a messenger of comfort was sent to the Son of God. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. from those in the front row, but the rest of you will find a place to put your cup next. Oh, there aren't any. Oh, then we'll collect from everyone. Oh, yes. When Jesus died, he was finally at rest. A long day of shame and torture was ended. As the last rays of the setting sun ushered in the Sabbath, 
the Son of God lay in quietude in Joseph's tomb. His work completed, his hands folded in peace. He rested through the sacred hours of the Sabbath day. In the beginning, the Father and the Son had rested upon the Sabbath after their work of creation, when the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. The Creator and all the heavenly beings rejoiced in the contemplation of the glorious scene. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, Jesus rested from the work of redemption. And though there was grief among those who loved him on earth, yet there was joy in heaven. Glorious to the eyes of the heavenly beings was the promise of the future. A restored creation, a redeemed race, that having conquered sin could never fall. This, the result to flow from Christ's completed work, God and the angels saw. With this scene, the day upon which Jesus rested is forever linked. For his work is perfect, and whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. When there shall be a restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the word of his holy prophets since the world began, the creation Sabbath, the day on which Jesus lay at rest in the Joseph's tomb, will still be a day of rest and rejoicing. Heaven and earth will unite in praise as from one Sabbath to another, the nations of the saved shall bow in joyful worship to God and the Lamb. In Matthew's Gospel, it says that when they had finished the supper, that they sang a hymn together and went out. So we're going to sing a hymn together and go out without a benediction. And But as you leave, there will be opportunity to uh, contribute to an offering. Then the offering helps our own church members when they have a time of need. We call it the Benevolent Fund. So let's turn to number 300, Rock of Ages. Number 300. Now let's stand together as we sing it.
going out on the side while I just